morning we've been walking through over the last several weeks through 2 Corinthians, through this letter, through this book, and we've taken making our way down to verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll be in verse, uh, verse 11. All right, are you there? Verse 11 says this, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of a sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Gospel leadership. What is gospel leadership? You know what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the kingdom of God. The gospel is the, is the purpose of our life, is to live out the gospel that has been put inside of us. You know what leadership is. Leadership can be uh, on a platform as a pastor. Leadership can be behind the scenes of a, uh, of a situation in church. Leadership can be in a, in a corporation, in a business. Leadership can be in a family. Leadership can be in a marriage. Leadership can be as a mom or a dad. Leadership can be in a youth group. There's always somebody looking up to you. Therefore, you are a leader. So what is gospel leadership. Churches, uh, trends in churches have changed over the years. If you've been a part of church for a long time, you have seen many of those trends over the years. But what will a healthy church look like 10 years from now. This is from Tom Rainer's research and leadership in, in our in Lifeway Christian Resources. What does a healthy church look like 10 years from now? That would be 2027. Number one, they have the same pastor that they did 10 years ago. Number two, the pastor and the staff and church members have a decade or a call or a decade of calling to the local community. Number three, the church will be as diverse as the community. Number four, the church will have responded to its international mission field in its own backyard for the last ten years. Number five, the church will have had consistent and strategic outward focus for a decade. Number six, all new members the past ten years will have attended a new members class. Number seven, the church will have seen cultural changes of the decade as opportunities rather than threats. Number eight, at least 80% of the worship's, uh, worship attendance will have moved to a small group Sunday school class over the last decade. 
Number nine, at least 50% of the attendants will have invited at least four people to church every single year. And the number 10, every year, for 10 years, these churches will have become more joyous and more fun. Those are the trends for the next 10 years as you think about the gospel, think about gospel leadership when it comes to churches. Read this week about a country preacher. He prayed this one day. He said, Lord, give thy servant this day the eyes of an eagle and the wisdom of an owl. Illuminate my brow with the Son of Heaven. Possess my mind with love for the people. Turpentine my imagination. Grease my lips. Electrify my brain with the lightning of your word. Fill me plumb full of dynamite of the glory of God. Anoint me all over with the kerosene of salvation and set me on fire. Amen. I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer like that, but I do pray that the passion behind that prayer would be inside each of us as we think about gospel leadership. As Paul is talking and as we've been following through these chapters over the last several weeks and a couple of months, Paul is addressing and he is defending his integrity. He is talking to a church that is is gospel-centered but is straying to the false teaching of the day. There are religious folks of the day who are calling Paul a fanatic, calling Paul a fool, calling him just a crazy Jesus follower. And Paul is standing up and defending the gospel. He is a leader in the church standing firm about his passion to know the truth of the Word of God. And he continues this morning in verse 11. The Bible says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God and I also trust are well known to you in your consciences. You remember two weeks ago when we left off verse 10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We understood that the judgment seat of Christ is a place for all believers who will stand and be judged for the works that they've done, whether good or whether bad. And it's not moral good. It's not good and sin or sin and not sin. It is the things that are of quality and the things that are of not. The things that are of eternal value and the things that are temporal. Those are the things that we're going to be judged for. Knowing that, the Bible says, therefore we, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The key word in verse 11 through 17 is the word persuade. Knowing that one day we will stand before the Lord. And knowing the terror of the Lord, which we'll we'll identify in just a second, we persuade men. Now in the Bible, this word persuade is used two different ways. It's used many times in the book of Acts, Acts 17, 4, 18, 4, 19, 8, 26, 26, 28, 28, 23, and 24. It's used to, to persuade to the truth of the gospel. Don't you as a gospel leader, don't you try to persuade people into accepting Christ as their Savior? You can't save anybody and you can't make someone accept Christ But hopefully through your gospel witness, you are persuading people to identify with who you are and what you believe in, your your, your relationship with Christ. So this is a good word. This is a word that identifies the persuasion of people who are lost. Therefore, the Bible says we persuade men. As a gospel leader, we want people to know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. 
But the second thing he uses this word persuade is also used in Galatians 1 verse 10, which means that he seeks the favor of. He's persuading people to the truth of his integrity. There were many things out in the community people were talking about Paul. People, like I said, were calling him a fool, calling him a false teacher, calling him a fanatic. And Paul is trying to persuade men that he is a true gospel leader. Now, someone who is a true gospel leader doesn't necessarily have to go out and to prove who he is. His works, his integrity, and the quality of his life will prove that he is a gospel leader. But Paul is not just sitting around letting the whole community go around and and call him a fool without him saying something. So he's trying to persuade men. Because of the judgment seat of Christ, and one day he will stand and be held accountable for everything that he does, he is out sharing the gospel and persuading men. So what does a gospel leader, with that persuasion in mind of gospel leadership, this text teaches us three things as we follow along. Number one, our respect for our Lord consumes us. Our respect for the Lord consumes us, knowing the terror of the Lord. Now, I love the New King James. That's what I preach out of. That's what I study out of. I use several different translations. But this is one that I've grown to love over the years. I don't like the word terror. The only thing that I think of as terror is that ride at Disney World called the Elevator of Terror or whatever it's, whatever that thing is. All you do is go by, what is that thing called? The terror thing where it just, uh, uh, yeah, that one that you don't go on anymore, that they shut down because so many people got scared or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, good deal. I'll talk to you about it after church. But there's a Tower of Terror. There we go. Tower of Terror. I don't like the word terror. We should never be terrified of our Lord. God is our Father. We are not scared of God. That's not what the word terror means. That's not what this word means. It's the same word in the New Testament for the reverential awe of God, a respect of God. But we also live every day to try to seek to please Him Daily, There is a respect. One day, there will be a day where you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It ought to put some, some passion in your heart. Knowing that out of respect for Him, we desire that that terror, that respect, it consumes everything that we are. That's why Paul says, knowing that one day as I will stand before the Lord, my desire as a gospel leader is to persuade men because that's what consumes me and who I am in every part of our life. The, the respect of who God is. The word terror means the reverence, the awe, the respect for His resulting in adoration, the worship and the service that follows all of that we worship the Lord not because of anything external in our life but because we respect the Lord this morning you had a choice turn your phone alarm off or your alarm clock or don't even set it and just if you get up you'll go or to turn that alarm off and say I'm going to church and I'm going to church because I respect him And I respect my Savior. And to be a gospel 
leader is one who has a respect that consumes us. The Bible says in verse 12, for we do not commend ourselves again to you. You remember back in chapter 3, where he t- in verse 1, where he talks about these, the, you remember the, the letters of recommendation to be somebody back in the Bible days, you would carry this letter of recommendation proving who you are. Paul says it like this, we don't have to do that. We don't need to do that. We don't need to commend ourselves again to you but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. As we think about this respect that consumes us, that causes us to do two things. Number one is to increase in our character. It's to increase in who we are. It's to increase in our desire to be more like Jesus. We don't commend ourselves to you again. He says, but we give you an opportunity to boast. The word boast right here doesn't mean to brag. It doesn't mean to be self-centered. It means to have confidence in spiritual integrity. Paul is saying, we're giving you an opportunity to boast and to have confidence that we are gospel leaders. That we are true to what we are teaching and what we are believing We're not some fool out teaching a false gospel. We love Jesus. We love the church. Our desire is to persuade men to Christ. That's who we are. People may not agree with that. People may not like that. But Paul says that's who we are. We want to give you something to boast about. And that's the integrity of our spiritual character. He says in appearance, but not in heart. The last part of verse number 12. He says those uh, out in the world... The false teachers, the false leaders, they boast in their appearance and not in their heart. They boast in what they're wearing. They boast in what they are doing. They boast in how public their prayers are. Jesus said something like this in Matthew 23, 27 and 28, that this religious group, they are whitewashed tombs, which on the outside they appear beautiful, but on the inside they are full of dead men's bones. All uncleanness who are outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy and full of lawlessness. A gospel leader is someone who is, has, a, has, a, has an integrity, has a character that is just like the Lord, that is just like Jesus. As a result of that, that consumes us, the respect of our Lord. But not only do we increase in character, but number two, and this is a tough one, we ignore criticism. Brother John, I thought Paul is standing up for his integrity. He is. Brother John, there are people who are criticizing who Paul is. You're right. So Paul needs not to say anything. He doesn't need to say anything. No, he ignores the words and he ignores the criticism, but he stands firm in being a gospel leader and he lets his integrity and his character speak for him. If you as a gospel leader... Try to put out every single fire, everything that happens around you, whether in your family or in your workplace or in the church life, and all you do is respond to criticism, you will die a slow, miserable death. Because after you get one fire put out, two more have started. And when those two get put out, you've got six more that have started. And next thing you know, you've got a fleet of firemen in the church and all you're doing is putting out fires. Instead, we have respect for the Lord that consumes us. And because our vision as a gospel leader is in front of us, we ignore the criticism. Look what the Bible says in verse 13. Where does this come from? 
Verse 13 says this, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of a sound mind, it is for you. Now, these are another interesting words because it's hard to be beside yourself. You ever thought about that? How can you be beside yourself? I mean, that would be tough. That would be, I mean, that would be an outstanding selfie to be beside yourself. But I don't know how that was. You know, the word beside yourself means to stand outside of oneself. It's out of one's mind. It means that you've lost yourself. Have you ever told somebody you have lost your mind? You ever told somebody you've lost, you've lost your senses? That's what the word means. And Paul is saying this. If we have lost our minds, it's for God. If we've gone absolutely crazy, it's for God. If we have become, as our young people have realized, if we've become a Jesus freak, it's for God. If we are absolutely outside of who we are, it's for the Lord. Paul is saying because we are so passionate for the glory of God. It is all about Him and nothing about us. Therefore, we are outside of ourselves, We have lost our mind. We have lost our senses. Paul was accused of being a fanatic to the point of being imbalanced mentally. Paul was accused of having a mental condition because he was passionate for the glory of God. Friend, let me tell you something. If you start leading a gospel leadership in your home, in your family, in your workplace, in church, people will look at you and say, have you totally lost your mind? You know what your answer is? Yes, I gave it to God. And I don't know where it's at. God controls it. He controls my mind. He controls my life. I am totally outside of who I am because it is all about Him. It really doesn't matter what people are saying about us. What matters is, what is God saying about us? us. So we ignore criticism. You cannot be a gospel leader without passion and without conviction. If Paul was out of control, it was because his desire for God's truth must be heard, it must be believed, and it must be exalted. Great leaders cannot stand mediocrity, cannot stand complacency, cannot stand cruise control. Great leaders are passionate for the gospel of Jesus Christ because they understand as a leader and as a believer, they will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and be held accountable for every deed they have ever done. Paul knew that. And what he's trying to get across to the church and what he's writing to us today is if we are beside ourselves, it's for the glory of God. It's for God. Gospel leaders do not find their satisfaction in man's approval, but in God's approval and what God has to say about man. But then the second word is here. It says not only do we beside ourselves, it is of God, or if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. He said if we think sensibly... He said, it's for you. He said, God has given us wisdom to be able to lead. Paul is planting churches, being a missionary, doing everything for the kingdom of God. He's doing all of this because he loves the people and he's passionate for the glory of God. 
If you lived, if we lived every day of our life with respect for the Lord that consumes us, most of the world won't understand, will not understand the passion that you have for the glory of God. And I'll even say this, most of the church won't understand either. Do you think more in the church are living passionate for the glory of God or more in the church are living in cruise control? I'll let you answer that question. But for Paul, he's saying we are passionate. Passionate for the glory of God because we respect Him. But if that doesn't persuade you, look at the second one. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this thus that if one died for all then all died and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and who rose again number 2 our reaction to his love controls us there's a word in here that uh, it's a neat word in verse 14 the love of Christ it compels us it controls us it pressures us, that produces action. That's what the word means. In other words, the love of Christ controls who you are. What is the love of Christ? We think about this word often. It's the word agape. It is God's love sent to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, born of us. It is His love that He died on the cross for you and died on the cross for the world. It is His love that saves us, that sustains us. It is His love that forgives us of our sin. It is His love that makes us His righteousness. It is His love that keeps us from going to hell if we're saved and lets us go to heaven when we die. That is the love that controls us, that consumes us, that compels us. A couple things about this, our reaction to the love controls. Number one, we died in Christ. And I want you to see this. I love this text. Verse 14. The love of Christ compels us because we judge this. We know this. That if one, Jesus, died for all, then all died. It's, it, it sounds strange. One person dies, everybody dies. One died for all, therefore all did not have to die. Because you're sitting in the pew, and I'm standing here on the platform, I haven't died yet. But the scripture says one died, then everybody has died. So you know he's not talking about a physical death. Because we're looking at a world with 7 billion people. And there's 7 billion people who've lived since the time of Adam. So he's not talking about those who have already died, although many have. He has to be talking about something else. This phrase here can be translated this way. One died for all, therefore all did not die. One died for all, therefore all live. Now, I hope you see where this is coming from. One person died, Jesus He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He died on the cross for the entire world. He died for all. Therefore, all of us died with Him. He died your death. He died your payment for your sin, which was death. Now I want you to think about that. One died... All have died. When Jesus Christ was on the cross and He hung there for those 
four to six hours and he's, he's put on the, on the cross. And we're going to look at in two weeks a great text, the end of chapter five, where he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God. He took away all the sin of the world. Jesus Christ died, but the wages of sin is death. And he took all the sins of the world. He took your sin, my sin, and everybody's sin it was placed on his shoulders. He took the death of every person in the world. And because of that, the love of Christ compels us. And as a gospel leader, we lead in this gospel because of someone, the good news of Christ, who died for me and who died for you so that you don't have to face death Although your death would have never satisfied the wrath of God because of the sin in our life, it took a perfect sacrifice. Who The only one that, 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 that could have done that was His Son, God's Son, Jesus, who died on the cross. One person died, therefore all died. Christ died our death, so we died with Jesus. What love that is. That is the love that compels us. Just like the fear of God consumes us, the love of God, it controls us, it compels us, it is who we are. Not only those who've died in Christ, but those who live in Christ. He died for all, verse 15, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. These are those who are alive in Christ, those who have been born again should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And He died on the cross for your sins so you would not have to die, but you would live. Come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Ask Him to be your Savior. And when you do that, you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Him who died for you. That's why if you're saved, you've lost your mind. That's why if you're saved, you are beside yourself. It's no longer about you. It's about Him who died for you. That's gospel leadership. And you're looking at it through the lens of the gospel. That it's all about Jesus his love, it controls us. The fear of the Lord, the respect of the Lord, it consumes us. And then we come down to the last one, number three, verse 16. Look at the text. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Number three, our responsibility for the lost, it convicts us. Our responsibility for the lost convicts us. The text says in verse 16, it starts off with the therefore. He's bringing all this together. Paul says from now on, because Christ died, and because now we have life in Christ, Paul as a believer, as a gospel leader, he says from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I want you to think about that for a second. 
Because Paul is not saying something that is totally contrary to the Word of God. He's speaking our language. We regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, we don't look at people by the color of their skin. We don't look at people by how much money they have in their purse or wallet. That's not what we gauge our acceptance of who someone is. Instead, we look at it through a gospel vision. Remember, the, the respect of the Lord, it consumes who we are. We've got to stand for the judgment seat of Christ. The love of Christ controls who we are. And, and then you come to the third one, the, the responsibility we have of the lost, it convicts who we are. So we look at people through gospel lenses, not according to the flesh, Paul says, but instead, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we dust know Him long ago. We look at Him in two ways. There are two types of people in the world today. And it's not male and female, although that's the only two types of people in the world today. Spiritually, spiritually lost and saved. And as a gospel leader, when you meet someone, when somebody walks through this, these doors of this church, when you're at a grocery store, when you're at work, when you have your family... You look at people through the gospel vision. Are they lost? Or are they saved? It doesn't matter what's on the outside. Because that will fade away. That will go away. And that will not mount, amount to anything of eternal value what somebody may look like on the outside. But are they lost? Or are they saved? Gospel leaders look at the hearts of individuals and they lead with a passion of whether someone is lost or someone is saved. And they don't judge anybody by what's on the outside. They judge by what's on the inside. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And that's all that matters. Paul says from now on we will not judge anyone according to the flesh. Paul was being accused by what was on the outside, by what was fleshly. And Paul says, I'm not about that. I'm all about what's in the heart. What's in the heart of individuals. Gospel vision doesn't look on the outside, but instead looks on the heart. We see people through the eyes of the love of Christ. We look at people the same way Jesus did when He was on the cross. He didn't say, my sacrifice is just for the rich or just for the poor. My sacrifice is just for the white or just for the Hispanic. My sacrifice is just for the Jews or just for the Gentiles. No, he said, my sacrifice is for the world because I love the world. And I desire that the world come to know me as their personal Lord and Savior. We look at people through the eyes of Jesus. We look at people the same way we'll look at them when we get to heaven. Through a spiritual Gospel vision. But then the second one, look at verse 17. Oh, I love this verse. We quote this a lot in evangelistic, but you maybe didn't know the context of all of that. Therefore, another therefore. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You read that verse in the English, in the English and you can put your emphasis on, on, on where you desire, like I did, reading it, just not thinking, therefore. Or you can put it in there, therefore, anybody in Christ, He is a new creation. Praise the Lord for that. But you know where the emphasis is in this text. If you look at it in the, in the original language, this is, this, is, this is what it says. The, the emphasis, the explosion in the Greek language is just like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it, it, it is, it is a, an, an explosion in the Greek language after that in Christ. How in the world that we as sinners who deserve hell and the wrath of God can be in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it is the most intimate union possible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, look, all things have become new. Aren't you glad the old has passed away permanently. And the new is here forever and continue to be made new. The newness of life as a child of God. That is not gospel vision, but that is gospel victory. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Are you a gospel leader? We looked at a couple of things this morning about gospel leadership. Our respect for our Lord, it, it consumes us. Our reaction to His love, it controls us. And then our responsibility for the lost, it, 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 it convicts us. A lot of you have, have done this in the past and maybe you're in, in, in your life now where you are teaching your child how to ride a bike. And if you're like a lot of dads, you've got to remember how to ride a bike again so you can teach your child how to ride a bike. And, and, and you put your child on, on, on this bike and, and, you, and you put him on there and you go real, real slow. That's not what you do, do you? Because if you just go real slow or you stop, that's when the handlebars go like this and you're trying to keep your balance and you fall. But to ride a bike, you've got to go. You've got to get some motion. You've got to get some traction. You've got to get some passion behind this art of riding a bike. And when you are in motion, guess what? You're riding. But when you stop, that's when you fall. As a gospel leader, we are called to be passionate. We persuade men. And we persuade them with the truth of the gospel. And we persuade them to let people know that what we are teaching and preaching and living is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do all of that. Because we're going to be held accountable one day. I pray that as you leave this building today that you are more concerned about what God says about you than what man says about you. It would be a compliment out of this world for somebody to go up to you and say, are you totally lost your mind? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. Because I love Jesus.
and I love him with all my heart. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to offer an invitation. You may be here today and you look at that verse. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. If you don't know Jesus today, would you surrender your life to Him? Would you confess your sins to Him and invite Him to be your Lord? He took your death on the cross. And all you've got to do is respond to Him. So we're going to offer an invitation. It's an opportunity for you to respond. Saying you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Friend, if that's you today, in just a moment when we stand, I want you just to step out and I'll be down here in the front. I'd love to talk to you about that. But how to have a relationship with Christ. You may be here and there's other decisions you need to make. Friend, we encourage you just to follow the Lord's leadership on that. Lord, we love you today. God, I pray that you'd help us to never lose the fire, the passion to be a gospel leader. It's all about you. And it's not about us. God, help us in that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.